Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. Before I get to the rest of today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. Today's episode is going to be jam-packed with interesting and extremely relevant topics of discussion. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest for the episode, popular digital artist and fan of crossovers, Sheepwave, also known as Megan. Hey, how's it going there today? I'm doing all right. I'm cold. It's cold, but I'm 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 surviving. <laughs> yep. I mean, spring is technically around the corner, so hopefully it's spring in Animal Crossing. It should be spring in real life. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, if I feel like that can apply to a lot of different things about Animal Crossing versus the real world too. It's like if it, yeah. everything was bright and colorful and you know happy half the time, things would be great. Yeah. Well, we'll have to just make do with what we got. Yeah, that's that's all right. So uh, today's episode, we've got some very interesting topics of discussion here, um, and I'm gonna jump right into the first bit of uh, first bit of topic here. So last week, Wizards of the Coast released a news bulletin that, um, honestly, I think it's fair to say the news was contentious. Actually, that might be an understatement in you know as far as like glacial terms here. Um, <laughs> it was the crossovers between Magic the Gathering and Lord of the Rings and Warhammer 40k specifically. So again, like with the Walking Dead Secret Lair that came out that was extremely controversial, what was that, five, six months ago or so, I think by now. I, um, obviously... The it was in con- September, I think? Yeah, so, something like that. So Yeah, so about six months. God. And, yeah, it, it's been a while, hasn't it? And, mm-hmm. Anyway, um effectively we, we we don't really know a lot about details we're still kind of in the dark about exactly what these crossovers are going to be but effectively what it looks like is that there will be warhammer 40k uh, pre-constructed commander decks i believe that will also be sold alongside the standard commander decks as well as some lord of the rings tie-ins again whether this is going to be something like the uh kaiju monsters in ikoria or whether it's going to be actual branded Lord of the Rings cards for use in eternal formats remains to be seen. So I wanted to start the conversation um, regarding your thoughts on the, the crossover news. Um, obviously, you have some really interesting opinions on this, and I think the listeners really want to hear about what you have to say about this, especially since you have your pulse on the altar community, which has already been uh, utilizing Lord of the Rings uh bits for a long time you know the soul ring with the the one ring etc etc so Mm -hmm. i really wanted to hear what your thoughts were on having an official crossover set with these uh, other ips well i mean it's not the first official crossover set arabian nights is the first official crossover set (laughs) um it is not new that magic pulls from popular culture um you know like the demir on the most recent ravnica plane are there they have several cards that are direct homages to the matrix like magic is kind of like a pop culture i think pastiche is the word where they're bringing in lots of like little things and they incorporate it um it is new that a contemporary i i'm using that term very loosely with lord of the rings um contemporary ish uh prop um universe would be incorporated in now obviously the first time that that happened was with the the walking dead um secret lair and you know we gotta get the the sirens blaring like because a lot of people are very unhappy about that (laughs) um i was personally not particularly bothered by it even i i'm not like a fan of the walking dead i don't really care about the cards much but uh my my position as someone who proxies basically anything that i want that isn't like like, honestly, like, I, I recently just built a Zerd deck where I proxied, like, 20-cent cards because ordering ordering cards online right now is such a hassle, and I can't go to a local game store without getting, you know, pandemic So, mm-hmm. like, there was there's no accessibility issue for me, which I know for a lot of people was, like, the big thing. Um, I personally think that crossovers, as a concept in general, are pretty much universally positive for their effect um on the community 
because uh, crossovers make it easier for new players to get into the game. Um, they also allow for a lot of, like, they provide, like, a kind of framework for people to really engage with things in new ways. Um, early on in the pandemic, I had, um, I had a game with a few other creators where we were playing, uh, we were playing Commander decks built around my altered series, uh, which I'll get to in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, we were, we were playing Animal Crossing deck. Um, I was playing Isabel, who I had, who was, uh, mechanically, her, she was Angus McKenzie. So I was, like, fogging and making it so that people weren't fighting. Um, someone else was playing as Tom Nook and, like, trading things around, which was Zedru, like, giving stuff away. Is like, do you want this? Come on, it'll just be, like, a small loan of, of some, uh... And it, it was, it was great. It was really fun. And it was fun because those characters in that context, like, gave us room to explore something that we wouldn't normally have done in Magic. Um, I think for some people, the idea of purity is, like, kind of important to them about, like, magic is this, magic is that, it is not this, it is not that, which I... The fact that I make digital alters all the time where I throw in any kind of media crossover, I feel like it probably indicates my position on that kind of attitude. Um, actually, just just today, day of recording, I just finished making a series of She-Ra crossover cards where I took um, the main characters of that show, uh, Adora and Catra, and made them into Bruce, Tarl, and Falthus, and like they're they're a flip crossover. They meld together into like one piece of art. It's it's really fun, and I think that people who care about a, a media property can engage with magic when it is put in their terms. It's it can kind of make things make more sense to them. Um, my fiance, who who understands the rules of magic, she can play the game and she has fun playing it sometimes. Um, she's never like really gotten that into it, but when she saw the Strixhaven stuff, which has this, it is not a Harry Potter themed set, mm -hmm. at least so far. Um, and I I will have I will address that. I, I'm putting a pin in that Harry Potter thing for a sec. Yeah, but That's fair. um. The, the the way that it's it's structured, like these houses that feel very ident identifiable, this kind of like fun college setting, made her able to engage with a magic set rather than just a magic card for the first time ever. And um, I actually decided that I would do something I hadn't done before and just buy a whole box, um, which I am going to be doing so that we can... We can open packs together and build decks to play against each other in this in this world that's got her really excited. Um, so, the, the interesting thing about, uh, Lord of the Rings, I'm gonna get to Warhammer in a second, is Lord of the Rings, like, we think of it as contemporary because there's these, like, movies that are coming out, like, still pretty regularly. Um, those books were written a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there is nobody really playing Magic who is not younger than those stories. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a few. I'm sure. But, like, you know. Lord of the Rings is about as far removed in terms of its, like, actual, like, writing, in, in you know, on the human scale, as Arabian Nights was. And Alpha, the set, is full of Lord of the Rings references. Mm hmm That it is. Um, so I think it is a natural fit. Uh, the, the motivation of Wizards of the Coast making cards is to make money. And getting new people into the community makes them more money. That mm -hmm. is, that is, you know, one one of the ways that magic players, at least most magic players, and Wizards of the Coast have a mutual interest is that I would say both groups want the magic community to grow. That is not the case for everyone, and we're let's put another pin in those people. Uh -huh. Um. But I, I think that the magic community improves as it grows, as long as it's not gaining followers from someplace deeply toxic. Which brings me to Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew um, we were going to get to that point at some point here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, I know some people had, like, like, like so I, I had made my impassioned argument on Twitter, like, 
if you're if people are going to be reaching out to you because Strixhaven and, and Lord of the Rings are going to get them engaged, being good ambassador. Um, and I was saying like crossovers, I think are good for the game um, because of uh, you know prior pin number two. Um, but Warhammer, I've heard not amazing things about. I've never been part of that community myself. Um, I actually do, I, I do find the, the fiction interesting, but only in the sense that I've read, like, lots of wiki articles. Mm -hmm. I do, I do have a, a deep love for, like, settings that are just absolutely fucked. Like, I, I love Dark Souls lore, so. Okay, yeah, that uh, makes sense. So, so Warhammer's, like, a natural fit. Um, but, yeah, so I've heard from a lot of people that Warhammer is like, deeply toxic. But, I'll be honest... Of all the crossovers, that the, of of the the three crossovers that we know about so far, which is um, Walking Dead, Lord of the Rings, and um, and Warhammer. Warhammer sounds like the only one that's actually intended for people that currently play Magic, because like, I I know Warhammer players like some of them, and all of them also play Magic or at least have played Magic, and I don't think like like local game stores usually have like they have like the card games and then they have like the war games and they mm -hmm. have the D, D stuff too the maybe, miniatures but... tabletop rpgs things like that yeah like these these are already like two i think very deeply intertwined communities i don't think that i i even even if i'm taking as true as a given that the warhammer community is bad and worse than the magic community which i i just have no opinion on that at all um, I don't think that it's really gonna, like, cause a huge, significant negative impact. Um, on the other hand, I have a somewhat negative view of the overall population of the Magic community. Um, due to my own vast, vast, past bad experiences and such, which may not be reflective of the present, but they do inform the way I see the community, and... I think that more people getting to join is only going to improve things because what I've observed in the Magic community is a lot of people who have been in the game for a very long time and have a very certain mindset are able to successfully keep others from getting into it mm -hmm. or to turn people that do get into it into people that are just as mean as they are. And that, like, has been a cycle that's been kind of perpetuated by, you know, certain toxic aspects of nerd culture in general. It's it's not unique to magic, but um, as magic is getting more and more explosively popular, um, kind of like how video games, you know, it's not... You know, there's, there's, there's still some people who are like, oh, girls don't play video games. But, like, I don't think there's really that many people who, like, genuinely believe that anymore. Sure, I can, you know, there's some, but um, Magic has not had the kind of explosive growth that other, uh, you know, nerdy subcultures have had. So it's never, it hasn't quite gotten to the point where that really, really, like, kind of, like, poisoned corner of it has been able to be completely pushed aside. And I think that collaborations and crossovers with these really big properties, you know, ones that have been around since, you know, 19, uh, uh, 1922 or whenever, whenever the Lord of the Rings books are written, um, it will only do good things for the community. Um, I was even, like, as a trans person, I was willing to tolerate the, cons the, the, the possibility of a Harry Potter crossover specifically for that reason. Um, and I also think that people are looking at these crossovers maybe the wrong way. Um, Hasbro, the company, is very much in the business of taking licenses for, like, popular movies, you know, whatever, franchises, mm -hmm. slapping them on an existing game mechanics, and selling that, you know. I... As a kid, I didn't own regular Monopoly. I owned Lord of the Rings Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, my first Monopoly set was Star Wars Monopoly. So same thing. Yeah, and I, I think that as 
apparently all of Hasbro's other other divisions are like hemorrhaging money or not really profitable and magic is just Ma- Ma- wizards of the coast specifically so magic and D are extremely profitable you know it makes sense that that's going to happen um i mean i remember a few weeks ago i was looking i was i was getting into D D for uh for for a stream that i'm doing and i was like looking through the source books and i was like there's a rick and morty source book really like yeah yeah, there's a Rick and Morty source book. Wow. There's a whole bunch of D&D crossovers. Um, this is, so this is not like, it's not like a new thing to Wizards. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like read it because I don't care. But yeah, no, there's a, there's a My Little Pony crossover D&D um, thing. Hell, there is a My Little Pony crossover in Magic already. Mm-hmm. I guess that, that actually counts. They're Silverboard, but. It's still a crossover. Yeah. Um. I know some people are concerned about the possibility of reprinting um, because of licenses, which is not an illegitimate concern, but I don't think it's I don't think it's actually a new problem. So like some people have have, have I, I think so let's assume that they're making a Lord of the Rings set, just a, a whole set. Okay, so I whole imagine... set, lands, spells, creatures, mm-hmm. legendary creatures, probably based off the character, the main characters yeah. from the story. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, they said that the thing that dis- that distinguishes what is in that, like, alternate universe or whatever is the little hollow foil stamp mm-hmm. um, being triangular, specifically. Like, that triangular stamp, like, okay, sure. Um, and what that makes me assume is that there would not be named locations or named, like, anything below rare um so like i I would imagine like uncommons and commons you're gonna get like a thrill of possibility but it's frodo opening his mailbox you know like like not not that you're talking like unique cards or or they could be unique cards but like that they don't contain like the name the parts that matter for reprint are just the name mana cost rules text types stuff like that I imagine that they would avoid putting those names on cards um, at anything below rare. Because it is probably true that when when they license, if they license Lord of the Rings, um, they pay for that license for a certain period of time, and they are not going to want to just pay for it again because, like, Frodo is, like, a legacy staple now. Um, I mean... It, this kind of ties into how Eternal Form, like, <laughs> Wizards just does not want to hear about Legacy anymore. It's, it's, and honestly, I don't blame them, because it's like, how do you support a format that is this, like, like, so few people that, like, were working at Wizards when it was, like, the, the, the sets that were, mo- like, original, the sets that are, like, Legacy but not modern, um, mm-hmm. legal. So few people that were around then are still there, like... Like, it's, they've moved so far past it, and they have to, you know, it's like a literally legacy support. Legacy support is, like, kind of like a, a like, a four-letter word in, in, um, in, like, uh, software development for a reason. Like, you don't, it, legacy, doing legacy support sucks. Um, so anyway, so, you know, let, let's say that Frodo is becoming a legacy staple. Um, you know, like, like some people want, acted like Rick would be, <laughs> which is just hysterical to me. Um. Really? Wait, is is he actually? I do not. I like. Is he really actually playable? Hmm. I mean, like, depend- uh... like, like. I know some people played him in Legacy, but I don't. I personally do not believe that anyone would have played that card if it had just been like a mythic in a in like a core set. Yeah. I just, I... I... Yeah. I oh. think it was people were doing it to, to make a point, not that I think it's actually viable. But I yeah. don't know Legacy at all, so, you know, I'm talking out my ass. Maybe I mean, I'm wrong. I, I, I did hear that there was some interest in playing that in Legacy, but you're right. It's probably more just for the name brand on the property, or, sorry, it, yeah, it's more the name on the card than the actual effect. Not to say it's not playable, but it's certainly got a lot more notoriety for the the name and the artwork on the front of the card instead of yeah, the card's mechanics. I, I, I think people were trying to make it happen in Legacy so that they could post it on Twitter and say, look, like, like this is so bad. Like, how, how dare they, they print this card that's, like, Legacy playable? Anyway, um, 
that is this is me just wildly throwing shade at, at segments of the community that I, I know nothing about. So I'm just being absolutely terrible right now, and I am sorry. But <laughs> um, throwing shade's a strong term. But anyway, so so let's say like Frodo is like now he's like a legacy stable. Um, I don't think that that's actually going to be a diff a significantly different reprint scenario than like um. Okay, so M nineteen had that cycle of wedge legendaries. Um, mm -hmm. It was like, it was like Kalia Yarok. Um, uh, what was it? Was Kalia Yarok uh, Omnath and something else. So like, like okay, so Team or Omnath. Mm -hmm. They're never gonna reprint Team or Omnath. Like that's not gonna happen. It was a mythic in a core set. Like. Most magic cards will never, like, that are at rare or above, will never, ever be reprinted. And, like, yeah, sure. Um, you know, the, it, is, it is entirely possible that these, that these cards will, um, like, you know, if Frodo is, is a legacy staple, um, it is entirely possible that they end up in a situation where, like, this product is the only way to get it and they have, like, a limited time license. First of all, they've they've said that they don't specifically have an objection to um to these alternate uh, the extended whatever I forget what it's called. Uh, I'm just gonna say extended universe. The, the universe is beyond or whatever. Extended like universe. Yeah, <laughs> that, that sounds better. Um, Trust me, it does. So like extended universe. Um, I I forget the character's name, but she has a sword and she makes zombie tokens. The zombie tokens are named Walker, but I believe that their actual rules object is named zombie i believe if you if you like a deputy of detention that has named zombie will exile those tokens mm -hmm. um i may be wrong maybe they're named walker you know what i'm gonna open scryfall right now let's find out <laughs> that's that seems fair um, so let's see so there was a card printed with the word walker token creature zombie all right um Say rulings? We got any rulings? Oh, no rulings. I guess it doesn't matter because this card isn't playable anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I imagine that if they're making if they're making a set that is supposed to be like if they're making this crossover set, they're targeting um they're targeting commander. Mm -hmm. And you know. Oko is proof that they are not always good at making sure that things are the correct power level, but I I don't see that being that big an issue, or at the very least, a, not a new issue. Like 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 sure, maybe Frodo will be hard to find, but um, can you can you imagine playing Legacy while Dual Lands currently cost like a thousand dollars each? No, not really. I mean, like um, <laughs> no, like like I I think I think. You're maybe focusing on the wrong thing here, if that's the case. Like, I know people don't want to create an effective second reserve list, but it's like, what are you going to... It's... Like, so yeah, that is a potential issue, but I think the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm -hmm. Um... Like... Yeah. I forgot what I was going to say next. <laughs> So uh, effectively, you're you're all for crossovers because you, they're bringing in players who would not traditionally buy into Magic: The Gathering because they're they're bringing in you're bringing in the Lord of the Rings fans who have never played Magic: The Gathering, and you're trying to bring back a lot of Warhammer players who may have dropped off the just bandwagon. Remember, just remembered something: the set after Strixhaven is a D and D crossover. That too. Like, yeah, they know what they're like. I don't know. I I saw. I know. I've seen some people like complaining about like like that they don't like the the idea that the the purity of aesthetics or whatever is being tarnished. But first of all, first of all, um, <laughs> I I said this on Twitter. If you've ever equipped um a sword of feast or famine to a worm token, you're not allowed to complain about aesthetic purity in a Magic: The Gathering game. That is actually um, <laughs> eerily true, or like giving it to Spectral Sailor or something, which technically like, has no like, hands. You know, like you know, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's like, I, I think that some people are scared of change, and they sometimes make bad arguments that feel right because 
they don't feel like they can safely just say the truth, which is that they don't personally like this. I think I think that over-rationalization is a huge part of a lot of the issues in, that, like, Magic players have communi- communicating their problems. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of Magic players, it feels like, are are afraid to just say that they don't personally like something and need to, like, they need to, 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 like, make it consistent with a set of logical axioms rather than just say, like, I don't like this thing. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing in, in absolutes effectively versus just going on saying, well, I'm, I'm a nervous about this. Because, for, for instance, I guess I'm kind of on the fence about the, the crossover thing at the moment. You know, obviously we don't have a lot of information. I'm not really sure exactly what we're going to get. I'm not against it. I'm not really for it. I kind of want to see what Wizards does with the D&D set before I really render any sort of real opinion on what I think about crossovers. It certainly seems like something that could get my uh, older cousin, who's really into Lord of the Rings, really into Warhammer, really into D&D, and see if I could potentially somehow get him into starting to play Magic, because he enjoys all those things, versus me trying to determine, well, do I, do I, would I think it would, would it make sense in playing Commander if I had Gandalf as my Commander versus just having another sorry, versus that being like a cosmetic overlay, like the Ikora, Ikoria creatures had where it's like it's in the set i forgot about the godzilla yeah no so so yeah i said three crossovers at the start but we're just finding new ones every five seconds (laughs) yeah we definitely are i mean i don't know it's i definitely think that there is uh there, there is potential for it to be like to go bad for it to kind of turn into like i while i am a fan of the fact that the walking dead was a crossover mm-hmm. i am not at all a fan of how it was distributed you know it didn't bother slash affect me um and m- maybe the flippant attitude i took about rick being in legacy makes it sounds like like i think that that was a good thing like no i was i was one of the first people on on twitter to be like screaming about it um i scr- you know, I, I was I was throwing a bit of a tantrum at the time, but I I did like kind of, with with the passage of time, realize like this is, it's it, I was scared of change more than anything. I I do think secret layers in general are kind of just a weird 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 thing, and I'm not the biggest fan, but I'm, I I'm I'm in an interesting position because I love doing crossovers. I love messing with card frames. I love giving them like new unique styles. And Secret Lair stuff does all of that, but it does it in this way that like commodifies it. It um it's got this it's got the stupid like artificial scarcity. Like the FOMO I was, I, bit, yeah. Like I was getting um I, I actually got one for the first time. I was getting the um the black is magic one. Mm-hmm. That was um, a really good one, by the way. I'm I missed out on it and I'm really disappointed. Yeah, it's it's but so, so I was, I'd never done it before and I was going and check out and it was like, you will only have 10 minutes after entering to check out. And I'm like, what? What are these, what? concert tickets or something? Like, like, what are you, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, this is such, a, and then like, it's like, it's got this little, lo- like, showing your place in line and I'm like, I'm first in line because there was nobody else buying these things on like, what was it, like, March? Uh, March, no, not March, uh, February, like, 22nd or something. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it was so layered and just nonsense. I, I do not like the way that secret layers are marketed. I do love the way that showcase frames exist, and I think that the Godzilla crossover existing within the set as, like, a rare chase card, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a shame... Like, I think, honestly, if the pandemic hadn't happened, the the way that Ikoria was done probably would have loosened people up to this whole thing. Um, I think that... I think that people would have been upset about The Walking Dead one no matter what. And then, you know... if you Actually, if you kind of map this out, there's a pretty, like, linear on-ramp to accepting crosso- this crossover stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally believe, to the bottom of my heart, that we are, uh, f- that we're like, after Time Spiral remastered stuff ends, they're gonna announce a Harry Potter secret layer. Um, I, 
I'm like begrudgingly like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does, does seem to make sense that they're kind of going that direction. You're right. I I like obviously J.K. Rowling is a hateful bigot, but I get it. And, you know, I, I made a whole YouTube video about that, uh, mm -hmm. where I talked about my thoughts in great detail, making sure to actually explain my position clearly. So I'm not going to try and do better than that. Um, but yeah, like, I still stand by what I said, which was that I think that Harry Potter as something to engage with for people who wouldn't normally think that magic was for them. Um, Harry Potter card game is the reason I play magic. Really? Um, I used to play yeah. that too. I still have yeah, some of my old cards just sitting god, around. Yeah, that god awful little tr card game that, that was like Babby's first Magic the Gathering. Oh man, um, that, that goes back so many years yeah. for me. But I, I, I just found a couple of those cards like a week or two ago at my parents' house. I was like, holy crap, I forgot this it, game ever existed, but so, it was actually fun. It, it was, though it had a lot of bad design. Oh, anyway. sure it did. But yeah, that was Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> um, and it's like, I, me playing that, like this, this thing that I was engaged in very heavily at the time, um, was Harry Potter when I was a kid. Um, it brought me into magic because playing that game brought me in contact with people who were playing magic. And at the time it was like Onslaught Block or something. I think I'd, I think I'd already, it's like the order of events is a little garbled because I know the very first set I ever like played with cards from is was like Scourge, but then I know I like kind of got back into it in Mirrodin. Anyway, um, so yeah, like that that product brought me into this trading card game like thing, and Hasbro has you know kind of like how here here's here's a, here's actually a really good analogy. Once upon a time bad movie uh, tie-in games would be made. Now, they don't make bad movie tie-in games. They make extremely popular Fortnite events mm -hmm. where somebody gets to play as Thanos. And, like, there's no... Like, there, I don't... I mean, there's probably isn't mobile, but I don't think there's, like, a, like a, a Infinity War video game. Maybe there is. I don't no, know. No, there... They, they do have an Avengers video game, but they aren't really making as many of those old video games based on a movie like yeah, they used to. Yeah, I guess, yeah, Avengers is a, is a bad example. But, like, like the, the kind of centralization of media means that these things are, like, kind of intermingling. Um, mm -hmm. Intertextuality, like, bits, bits of media crossing over with others is, like, the main way that, that engagement is being driven in today's media landscape. And it's... It's just inevitable inevitable that magic is going to hop on. Like, Zendikar was the first D&D &D set. Alpha was the first Lord of the Rings set. And Arabian Nights was the first, uh, like, real crossover set. It's, it's not like it's new. I think it's just people are scared of change. And it is a big change. Yeah, and, and, and we do have to consider the fact that the, all those sets came around from the very beginning, too. So there's just been a lot of years a lot of layers of uh what we would consider magic lore being top being put on top of those crossovers so when we think about well this is kind of the first crossover that we think of well there have been crossovers before but they were mm -hmm. you know, i mean i guess reskinned is not really, really a great term but effectively kind of papered over the original source material put it on in on a magic card and then all of a sudden it's a magic card even though I mean, it wasn't something completely new that came arabian, out of there i mean arabian nights was like not a like cairo is a location in arabian nights like it's um but you know i i think maybe a bit of perspective that people need is that like when arabian nights came out uh what was like 27 percent of all cards in magic the gathering uh, like card designs um, were from a crossover set. So I don't think that them starting to release like maybe a set a year that's like, oh, this is the Lord of the Rings set. I don't think that the game's going to die because 0.2% of the cards are like, are, are like Lord of the Rings themed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I, I think the, the, the cause for concern here for a lot of folks is, if they're going to do a D&D &D set and there was going to be a Lord of the Rings set, well, all of a sudden now, how many more IPs are we going to do? Are we going to still have magic, you know, its lore, everything sticking 
as it is, or are we just going to go to sets that cross over with IPs? And just so I, I can see a lot of the concern is in kind of how I look at it too. Is I I'm I'm curious to see where they go with this. I want to see I, how they how they put it how they put Lord of the Rings in here, but I guess I'm kind of cautious by them trying to flood us as players with a whole bunch of crossover sets at one time. I think that's a lot where my concern would come from. While I think I think there that is definitely like an angle to be concerned about. Like let's say the crossovers start doing gangbusters money. Will the original magic story just be left behind? Um as someone who kind of likes the magic story as you know, as a Vorthos, as they say, that would definitely trouble me. Um, I don't believe that they will do that, though. I, you know, I can't can't speak with any certainty, but it, it just doesn't seem that likely that, that that will happen. Because, like, magic story is such an engagement, engaging part of it. Like, I got back into magic because of the truth of names and the way that Chandra and Nyssa were portrayed in the Kaladesh stories. Mm -hmm drawing me back in after having left because I felt like someone like me was not going to be welcome. So yeah, I think that I think that crossover stuff will be a shiny mat in the front that will draw people in, but that the like the core of things, I don't think that's going to change. But it might, who knows. Yeah, um, and 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 that right there would definitely be something I know as a player I could live with. I I I be I'm definitely down to see a Lord of the Rings set. I'm very curious to see how that would go. I just want to make sure that it still feels like a magic set and all of these things still feel like the game is just they're, they're drawing from maybe a slightly different source material, uh, doing some different things and just, you know, taking those creative freedoms that we all want to see um, them take while also kind of adhering to the existing game and the mechanics and whatnot that we've come to enjoy. I mean, Magic as a Universe had back-to-back -back sets where one of them was set on a super-duper high-tech future plane called Mirrodin, and the next, the very next set was set in, like, feudal Japan. Like, Magic is pretty, like, wildly varying. I, I think that... The core of magic is kind of more about its aesthetic sensibilities than anything else. And I don't believe that crossovers will change that. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting way to put it, because a lot of the, especially the more recent planes, have been based on historical time periods, or even contemporary time periods, depending on which, uh, which sets, which planes we're talking about here. And yeah, there's a lot of influence being drawn from real-life situations. Or um, or even just works of fiction in a lot of cases too. So, yeah, you're right. The crossovers have definitely kind of always been with, uh, with magic. It's just it, it's kind of now where they're just letting you know that it's it's coming and it's from this exact IP. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to switch gears here to the second port, second half of our conversation here today. Um, I know that we've. Um, or I, I know that you put a second pin in the uh, Harry Potter discussion mm, earlier, no, I and I kind of wanted to see where we were going with that. So uh, could you elaborate a little bit more on that so, one? So, so actually, I'm going to keep that one, that one pinned for a okay. second and say the, the other thing that's worth talking about is something I did just briefly touch on, which is another big thing that has drawn a lot of players into the magic community, um, which is that magic is an unusually queer representative community mm -hmm. which feels weird because like i love i i love going on twitter and complaining about representation but to um to actually step back and look at it it's a game that has a lot more representation than a lot of other forms of media have um like I said, I left the game right around when, when I don't remember which set exactly, but it was one of the, like, six Lorwyn sets. Um, okay, yeah. I, I left the game because an event happened that made me feel like I wasn't going to be safe being who I was. 
and what drew me back in was a couple things. Um, one was a, a student of mine, uh, well, uh, so I was, I was actually teaching, I never like fully pulled away from playing Magic, I was just wasn't like actively part of it, buying new cards, anything like that. Um, so I was, I was teaching the summer camp and it was Harry Potter week. Um, and part of what I decided to do was I was going to do like a little elective at, at our, at our camp where I was going to teach kids how to play Magic the Gathering. And a couple of them got like really into it. Um, and it was the first time I'd really engaged with it in a while. Um, and one of them actually showed me the, this YouTube video, um, by my now friend, Spice 8 Rack, who... <laughs> Boy, I then it, like a year and a half later, I was in I was in one of his videos, which is just wild. But, um, and uh, and and he he just made an offhand. I don't remember if it was that video or another one where he just made an offhand reference to being queer, and that was something that I didn't I had never seen in the community in my past time being there, at least not in anyone but myself, and. I was kind of like, so that little hook was in me. I was curious again. And then I found out about the the character that everybody knows, Alesha, the first strictly exactly definitionally trans character in Magic. There's, there's maybe some asterisks, but for like other characters that you might be able to argue um, were first. But she was the first one that it was really centered and after reading The Truth of Names, which is still, like, a really nice little condensed piece uh, about her, uh, I ended up just kind of sucked in and reading the Kaladesh stories, where Chandra is an absolute disaster lesbian, and, and just really, like, seeing myself in that, it brought me back into the game after ten years of not having been feeling like I could even engage with it and be physically safe. And I, th I recently uh, talked a bit um, about how I think that Nico, this uh, one of the the first not the first non-binary asterisk planeswalker. Um, I, I, the, the asterisk goes before first. Nico is non-binary. And what I love about Nico is that they're the first queer character in Magic that you look at their design and you immediately know that they are queer. You don't have to read the you don't have to read the story. You don't have to know like oh that's Ashiok. They're 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 they don't have a pronoun or at all. Wh whether or not Ashiok counts as queer, is, I, I have no idea. But like you know, it's Yeheni. Like in the story, they're they're like clearly based on like a drag queen kind of. But on the card, they just look like this generic, like, e like vampire evil creature. And it's just, the cards have never done a good job of kind of speaking to, the, to those people that they're trying to represent before. And this character, Nico, I actually have, I, I pulled one of their, their art cards from the, uh, the Kaldheim set boosters. And I, I decided to put that on my fridge because it, it is really meaningful to be able to see yourself in a game. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I'm white, so I can't speak to this one personally, but I know that Kaya being added to the game was, like, uh, to, to a lot of people, that meant something. To Fairy coming back in a big way, that meant something. And it's, I don't know, I'm just, I'm happy that Magic is kind of recognizing and trying to move into these spaces that it's already very popular with. Um, now, I mentioned that I think the, that there is going to be a Harry Potter crossover. I, I specifically think it is likely to be a secret layer. Um, like, uh, um, I also expect it to be the absolute worst possible trifecta. I expect it to be, uh, mechanically unique legendary creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to feel weird about that. Like, you know, may maybe your listeners don't know. Uh, J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter series, has devoted the last two years of her life to trying to make life hell for trans people. Um, unfortunately, she's been remarkably successful since when you have that much money and power, it's very easy. 
Um, which means that, like, the idea of having her work be present in a game that is, that, like, there, you know, it's it's just a fact. A lot of trans women play Magic. It's, I'm sure there's lots of reasons. I'm sure Alesha existing is a big one of them, is for me. But it's gonna suck. But I think that in the long run it would pro if that happens it'll be for the best because the ev the event i've been dancing around is something that happened because i was the only girl and i was 15 too in a room full of men who would not believe a 15 year old girl and magic's demographics have been slowly changing but it is, I think that, especially since Harry Potter, among its adult fans, is a is a fandom, so to speak, that leans very heavily female. Um, it might be something that really did a huge, huge push in kind of balancing things out, making it so that there was that critical mass so that people could protect each other in ways that we certainly couldn't 10 years ago and only barely can now. But yeah, it's gonna suck, and I also am not looking forward to um, a bunch of people who don't actually care about trans people and are just mad about a mechanically secret, a mechanically unique secret lair, suddenly claiming to care to try and scream at new fans who came in because they're part of the Harry Potter community. You know, that's not gonna be fun. Yeah, and and. And since we did talk about the crossovers earlier, is that Harry Potter, for a lot of us who are in our age range, it was our formative years. We spent a lot of time reading the books, watching the movies. I remember having at least one or two uh, themed birthday parties around that when I was, what, eight to ten? Oh, yeah, something like that. Same. Just like, it was our life. And, you know, if at the time it's like, hey, there was a Harry Potter set that came out in Magic, well, all of a sudden... We probably would have, you know, if, if we weren't already playing, obviously I didn't play, start playing until a couple of years ago because I took a long hiatus from card games. But I easily would have started at least collecting some of the cards and maybe would have started playing. Among the, among the Magic the Gathering target audience, I would say there's probably a rounds to 100% cultural awareness of Harry Potter. You know, may maybe that's not the case in, in like, Japan or, or certain other territories. Like, I just don't know. But, like, I think I think what's interesting about, you know, crossovers, representation, all these things, is that, like, these characters can drive people to engage with the game beyond what, beyond what people would even realize, especially if you're talking about Commander. Um, like, some if someone is like, oh, Alesha is a trans woman, I'm a trans woman. I want to make a deck around Alesha. We've all done it. Um, in doing that, the, the, the mechanical text on the card requires not that I just engage with the piece that I cared about, but also with magic, at, magic and its systems as a whole. If I have my Gandalf legendary who wants me to cast big spells or whatever, you know, that is going to push a new player who might just, who might, like, their first instinct might just be to collect the Gandalf card, but I think, or, you know, just to get the Gandalf card, play, like, some simple games, whatever, but I think that having Commander in particular will push people to kind of engage with Magic as a whole, to get them to care about what new sets are coming out, to care about what are these new cards, how do they affect this thing I care about, and then in the process of doing that, be like, oh, what's this new thing? This isn't the thing that I came here for in the first place, but it interests me because I've learned the language of Magic the Gathering, and I, like, I have, I have learned what I enjoy playing, and I can engage with these systems now. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even have to be a crossover card in its own way. As You could have a Balrog card, or you could just have some... You know, the next reprinting of Colossal Dreadmaw. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't know, but just some vanilla, somewhat vanilla creature 
that all of a sudden might be really good with that Gandalf card. And all of a sudden you might start trying to think, well, it doesn't quite fit with this, but mechanically it does. So, so yeah, so you can start kind of organically building it, but you have that in through something you are more familiar with. Like, one of the, like, I, I talked about it earlier, like, I have, I have, like, what do I have, like, 20 commander decks? Um, I love going in on a theme, and because I have the ability to draw and high-quality print whatever I want, I can go all in if I wanted to. Like... Like I have, let me just take a look. Like I have, um, like I have a, I have a deck. Uh, my Sidri deck is, you know, tur more turf art, of course. Uh, I mm -hmm. replaced Sidri with my own illustration, which is like this, like she's like this, this like, like womanizing lesbian or something, because like Sidri can, she can use her, uh, her mechanical animate ability to remove equipment from creatures. So I like, so she can charm the pants off anyone. So like. But I ended up building this whole story around it that actually appears in the art of, like, seven of my other cards. And that entire deck is 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 storytelling this, like, extreme tale of tragedy. And, like, to build that deck, I had to go through all kinds of things of magic. And there's a bunch of cards that's like, oh, this tells... This is that thing perfectly. It also happens to be, like, a brutally efficient control deck because, like... <laughs> When, when the story you're trying to tell is of, like, a manipulative, controlling bitch, it just happens to p turn into a really powerful deck. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like... So that is... My, my ability to engage with that sort of thing is, is heightened because I can just make the cards myself. But, like, for someone... I, I think there's a lot of people who might be scared of, you know might be bothered by other people engaging with these characters because they don't they don't feel like it's it's like it's the right way but i don't know i i think i think that as people get more used to it especially as as these crossover stuff gets more normalized i know like for me my like it's it's funny like people people talk about like oh no, i don't want crossovers in magic but it's like if i look at my most popular cards ever um, they're all crossovers because crossovers are highly engaging. Like people, like my, uh, my, my toxic deluge, it's the Twitter interface is, is I believe my most popular card I've ever made. Oh man. I have to go take a look at that one. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And no, very like true. I, I actually created that, that card, uh, using the inspect element, uh, tool in Chrome. Like it, like it is actually a, t a screenshot of a web page. Oh, um, man. <laughs> yeah, I was very proud of myself for that one. Um, but it's like, these things let people engage in different, in, in ways that they normally wouldn't. And I just think it's it's all going to be good in the long run. You know, maybe there's going to be an in the long run. Maybe in the short run, they're going to they're gonna drive people crazy with the crossovers. But, like, it's not the first time, it would, like, okay, if, if we talk about, like, let's say they have to, they do, like, a total reboot of the Magic Universe and say, like, everything we cared about before doesn't matter anymore. Um, they did that before. It was called The Mending. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, Magic, Magic the Gathering was about immortal, unkillable planeswalkers fighting each other in giant mech suits. Magic has changed what it is many, many, many times. And I think that the community that we've built is what's going to keep people engaged and people being able to see things that they care about within that system is what is going to make the game more like sustainable in the long run. Because we have that freedom as the players to be able to build this commander format to however we would like to. So even if we don't necessarily agree with the company's decisions, we can still keep things afloat just based on what we're interested in, as well as just, you know, you making the game our own. And that's really what brings me and keeps me in Commander versus going to the other competitive formats is I feel like, you know, and, and I've gone over this at length in various other episodes of my podcast, but um, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things where it keeps me coming back to the format, keeps me playing, because I just enjoy that social aspect, that the fact that you're not really playing for, for money or anything, you're just playing to enjoy the game. And however you enjoy the game really ends up being... Uh, 
your your enjoyment of the game ends up keeping you coming back. If if you didn't have that, I I don't know if I'd still be playing. Yeah, Commander really is what made me kind of stick back to Magic in a way I hadn't before. And I think that different kinds of mentalities and attitudes that are present in Commander are a huge unspoken source of a lot of the frictions in the community. Um, that there are these kind of, you know, like obviously there's people who do both, but that the fact that the that I would say the most engaged Magic players are now people overall who are not playing to win. Um, it is causing a huge, like, cultural shift. Um, it's making things like crossovers, you know, vis visible representation of people that aren't, you know, cis at white men. Um, it's making these things more viable and matter more. And I think that the magic community is going to be better for all of it. I do definitely agree with that because, because you're right, is that um, as a white man myself, I've never really felt unwelcome in any of these sorts of games. Obviously, Magic is like, I, I feel comfortable because most of the people playing around me are also white men, roughly my same age, maybe a little bit older. So there's really no barrier to entry for me, so to speak. But if I didn't fall under that demographic, there are definitely a lot of barriers that uh, could, poten could potentially prevent me from even wanting to play. And I know you touched on this earlier, and it's Definitely something that hopefully Wizards is really starting to get the point of. They've definitely made a lot of progress in there. And again, that's not to say there's not a lot more progress to be made. But I think that's kind of more of a societal uh, uh, bit here. It, more than just uh, Wizards of the Coast, more than just Magic. But it definitely, we're making progress on that front. It's not a ton, but it's, it's something. We're bringing new people into the game. And that right there is really what brings health to to these communities mm -hmm. yeah i don't i don't even think it's as much of a broad societal thing because like i i genuinely think that magic okay i'm i i i think it's it's hard to say about right now but let's say let's say 10 years ago magic players were absolutely less safe than a general random sample of the population and there is not a ton that wizards can directly do about that. They can do little things, and they are doing little things. Um, one of the things that was so important about Nico to me wasn't just that they existed, wasn't just that they were visibly queer. It was the fact that Nico's face was showing up in Twitter ads. They were advertising this character. They were not, like, hiding... It's not like Alesha, who was kind of hidden away. Like, Alesha's queerness is sort of an Easter egg, in comparison. Like, the same with same with Chandra and Nyssa, and it's like, look what happened there. The, they didn't commit to it. They just made it a little Easter egg, and when it didn't suit them anymore, they threw it away. Mm -hmm. They can't do that with Nico. Nico is... You, like, um... Uh, they could just not ever put them in another set. Like, you know, that's a, that's, that could happen. But I don't think it will. And, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my bit on representation. And, and it's really good that you, were, that you brought this up because, again, this is definitely something where Wizards did definitely take some new ground on this one. And you're right, they did make Nico. The, at least one of the faces of the set, but you also have to look at Kaya being one of the faces yeah. of the set too. And that right there brings in a different audience, potentially different audience, but for the same reason as you have these characters doing awesome things who don't necessarily fit the original mold of the game. And that's definitely a uh, cause for uh, celebration in a lot of ways and hopefully will uh, keep people interested or come new people coming into the community because there is that representation that wasn't there 10 years ago. Yeah, non-white women are the least represented represented group in Magic. And it's a shame because this game is awesome. It's There's nothing about not being white that means it's not suitable for you. It's just, it's just a cultural thing that it happened to be popular in some very white communities that were able to form this kind of barrier. And it's good that that barrier is breaking down. And I want to keep seeing it get smashed down. 
So, do you have any predictions for the next couple of years? Will Wizards continue to bring uh, Nico, Kaya into more sets? Uh, you think there'll be some new characters, some new storylines potentially uh, that will continue pushing this for further? I or? will. I will always put my money on Trans Jace. Um, always, always Trans Jace. Um, other than that, uh, I th I think I mean like we literally know a bunch of the properties that they that Hasbro has like a licensing market or like uh, there there was a document going around that like had a list of the properties that Wizards of the Coast was like I don't remember the exact name of the license but it's like it's all been stuff that's shown up it was like it was Godzilla it was Lord of the Rings it was Warhammer forty k it was Dark Souls my um. Care Bears, I think, was on there. Really? Uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> um, you know, like, the sort of stuff that they would normally be licensing, like, like you know, Monopoly games on, but it seems like they're going to be like, well, if we're going to license it at all, why not put it on Magic? Because that's our profitable division right now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's going to keep happening. I think they will... I believe that they will that they're what they're gonna do is like kind of like a sine wave where they go up and they go down and go up and they go down. So because they kind of have to work in advance, they're gonna they're gonna push it first, then they're gonna have it like scaled back down a little bit. And they're gonna have gauged the reaction from when they pushed it to see like what they're gonna do in the future. Um I think it's possible that if they do uh, if they do a Harry Potter um secret lair it's possible that they'll be banned in legacy i would guess that that would be like the change that they would make um from what they learned from the walking dead uh not sure but you know i don't know yeah. I, I, I i those so yeah those are my predictions i think that we're going to keep seeing we're going to keep seeing more of this and i think it'll be positive i think they're going to push it too far by the end and then they'll bring it back and then they'll kind of find their middle ground. Like, it'll go up, it'll, they'll overshoot a bit, they'll go down, people will want more, it'll kind of, it'll kind of balance itself out. And through that process, more people will get invested in the game. And if it's done right, it'll be good for everyone. Well, except for the people who have a vested interest in making sure that nobody but people exactly like them are the ones playing Magic. But those are exactly the people that getting rid of is going to improve the community. And we'll definitely see how much progress is made when the the D and D set drops here later in the year. Start seeing how gauging how the players react. Hopefully, it'll be positive, and we'll we'll go from there. And then when the Lord of the Rings sets drop, or whenever the next Secret Lair that comes. I mean, I think the Lord of the Rings thing is supposed to be like twenty twenty two, so it'll be a bit. Yeah, but I mean, it definitely. I I feel like that right there is the the next interesting i guess flag point checkpoint if you will just to kind of see where this theory goes we're we're, we're carrying out the string far enough to kind of say okay the D, &D mm -hmm. set is you have a lot of people who play both magic and D, D, but all of a sudden lord of the rings is the first is the next major hurdle will people really buy into this concept or will they not so i i think that right there is really where we're going to see how these new ip specific crossovers are really going to to play out i think that's that that's the first shoe to fall really mm -hmm. all right so i think that wraps up our discussion here i want to thank you so much for being on the show this has been a great conversation and i would like uh, for you to again just go over where people can find you um so everything i do can be found on twitter for the most part but my website sheepwave.com has a link to the art cards i can sell that don't have anybody else's uh copyrighted material but my own um i also can be commissioned if you if you really like the idea of crossover cards and you want to put your oc or something on them i can make versions of cards that can be legally sold that's the main thing i do actually um, so yeah, sheepwave.com has both all of my social links and my shop. So yeah, if anyone wants to commission me, DMing on Twitter is the way to go. And if you just want to see my stuff, I post everything on Twitter. That's my main source. And I highly recommend taking a look at it. Uh, Sheepwave does a great job with a variety of different cards. I really like your basic lands in particular. But yeah, I, now I'm going to have to take a look at that Toxic Deluge and, uh, 
definitely get a, a good laugh in and how accurate it is. <laughs> oh, it's got so many little details. Like, uh, we, we, we received your 197 reports over the last eight weeks, but we honestly just don't care. That's one bit. Um, then a uh, reply guy, 12424. This looks really cool, but have you considered redoing the entire thing to suit my specific opinion about how it should be made? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, uh, that sounds perfect. I'm going to have to take a look at that, yeah. yeah. I'll send you a copy, anyway. All right, I really appreciate that. So, um, as far as me, MJ, you can find me on Twitter at at MTG in quarantine. You can also find back catalogs, of, or the, the back catalog of my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Casts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. So, thanks again for being on here. It's been great uh, talking with you. Mm -hmm. And you've been listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day.